people fall into two categories. Those who love leftovers and those not so much. How many of you love leftovers? No, a little less than this morning. Uh, actually, the only person that said they did not love leftovers this morning was my wife. But she's always feeding me leftovers, so I don't get that. But anyway, there's two people, leftovers, not leftovers. You know, that thing that's in the back of the refrigerator. Some of it's because I'm cheap, and I don't like throwing away food. So, you know, as long as it's not really expired, I want to eat it rather than throw it away. But uh, this series, for the next four weeks before we get into Christmas, we're going to be talking about leftovers, things that are in the back of the refrigerator uh, that I wanted to share, that we ran out of time in a series, some things I think we ought to revisit. Um, some things that uh, might not fit with what we were doing in some of the other series, so uh, that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, we'll keep you current with what leftover is coming up. If you tune in to The Pulse on Friday, you'll find that out, or also look on our Facebook page, and uh, you'll see that. So uh, please uh, try to be involved with all four of them, whether you're here or online, and we welcome our online audience, and uh, there are some folks that uh, just can't be here. I think of Jerry and Ruth, who had to go uh, take care of some parenting needs for their, their parents, so we uh, thank you for your model, uh, Jerry and Ruth, for doing that. We also think of Sherry, uh, who's going to be having surgery this Wednesday, and we just are praying for you, Sherry. Know that uh, we care for you, and for the many others that are joining us online. So, today we're going to be talking about the leftover of for a second. Leftover of, of uh, blended. That's what we're talking about. Uh, we're going to be talking about blended. You can follow along in the message guide. There's also the message guide is available online. So as we think about blended, uh, there is one family that comes to mind as we talk about uh, joining two families together. Uh, we talk about joining two people's lives together. And I think of this family that some of you probably may recognize. It's a story of a lovely lady. Who was bringing up three very lovely girls? It's the story of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys of his own. They were four men sitting all together, yet they were all alone. One day when the lady met his fellow, and they knew that it was much more than us. That this group must all now form a family. That's the way we all became the Brady Bunch. How many know that family? How many don't know that family? <laughs> Bob, you should know that family. <laughs> 1969, I was just barely alive back then. That's when the Brady Bunch came online, and the Brady Bunch was really a cutting-edge kind of show. It was the blending of two families. And uh, Mike, if you remember the uh, pilot for that series, Little Bobby is wrestling with the fact that uh, his mom has passed away. And uh, what is he supposed to do? And there's this really touching scene where he has a picture of his mom and he's not sure if he should leave it out on his bureau or not because uh, his dad's getting married and he's going to have a new mom and all of that that goes along with that. These two families coming together. Then it's also interesting when it comes to Carol, uh, never really told, but if you go back and, and do a little reading, you're going to find that the writers actually wanted to talk about Carol's marriage actually breaking up. But it was just too on edge for the day, so they just kind of let that um, just hang out there, and they didn't really get into that. 
So this morning we're going to be talking about blended, talk about two families coming together. A lot of times this is uh, uh, after a marriage is broken up and they're coming together, but also a lot of what we're going to talk about applies to any marriage, first time around or not. So, uh, And if you are not a Christ follower, you're trying to figure out what that means, uh, there still will be some ideas, some concepts I think you'll find uh, helpful as you start to think about what it means to say yes to Jesus and to follow him. And the first thing we need to realize is this, is that a first marriage has a chance to grow into life together, while a blended family is thrown into life together. Uh, first marriage is a growth period, uh, you know, and it just starts to unfold. Second chance, second blended family, it is just you're all in immediately. And you can go from zero to 90 really quickly when you're in that situation. Now, the Bible is full of blended families, full of blended families. Uh, King David um, had at least 21 children by 11 wives. Wow. Uh, Jacob had 12 plus, probably more than 13 children by at least four women. And even Jesus himself is living in a blended family. So this is, if you look at the Older Testament, you're going to find this idea of blended family, and you're going to see a lot of the difficulties that that can create. But the idea we want to go is it, is it isn't something just to be survived. A blended family actually can have some success. Even though none of us are perfect, there can be a movement. It can be joy. It can be enjoyable. It can actually be a celebration of life if you understand some of these principles. And the first thing we need to do is we need to establish your priorities. If you and I are getting into any relationship with another person, whether it's a first marriage, a blended family situation, whatever it is, you need to understand on the front side what your priorities are going to be, and then how are those priorities going to be flushed out as you begin this relationship together. And uh, Abraham is a great example of this, of someone who is involved in this idea of a blended family. He's got a lot going on. Uh, if you remember the story, uh, he was promised a son, and in, in Abraham's day, this was very significant, and it just wasn't happening. So he and his wife, his wife initiated taking things into their own hands, and uh, his wife's uh, maidservant became a surrogate, and that just created a whole nother problem. And later on, uh, God does give them Isaac, and uh, their life starts together, and uh, this idea of priorities gets to see, be seen in Abraham's life. So we look in Genesis 22, we read, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham... Here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. The word Moriah means uh, God is my teacher. That's one reason we named our youngest Moriah. We were hoping that God would be her teacher. Uh, Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. And early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. This is just amazing. I mean, we can't even get our minds around this. The promised child, the one who's to usher in all the promises that Abraham and Sarah have heard about, is Isaac. And here God is saying, I want you to sacrifice your son. And in that culture, in that day, that kind of thing happened. And it was, you know, it's just, just wild stuff, just outside of our mind. Yet Abraham doesn't wait 
till mid-afternoon. He gets right on it. And I don't know about you, but there are things that I know God is leading on my heart every once in a while, and I try to put it off. But here Abraham is giving this example. He's showing his priorities. He is next morning, he is saddling his donkey, and on his way he goes. We read on. When they reached the place that God told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar and on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then the angel said, don't kill your son or hurt him in any way. Now I can see that you trust God and that you have not kept your son, your only son, from me. What an amazing lesson. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of good things that God can bring into my life. Blessings. Not even at the gift of children level. And when they come into my life, I receive them. But then my hand very quickly closes around them. And I all of a sudden hold on to that thing so tightly. It's almost like I start to value the gift over the gift giver. And Abraham gives a lesson where he doesn't do that. And uh, over the years, I try to pray this when God does something that I think is just outside of normal blessing into my life. I say, Lord, uh, I I almost don't want to pray this because I don't want you to test me on this, but I want want to want this. I want to keep what you give me hands open, realizing it is a gift But the one I value, the one I sing hallelujah to, the one I praise is you, not the gift. So um, we read, you know, on and we see that, uh, again, God realizes that uh, Abraham has set his priorities right, even this promised son. Uh, Jesus says it this way, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants then other things will be yours as well. And that, uh, that concept is for Christ followers in general. It's just not for the missionary. It's just not for the pastor. It's not for the, what we consider the super spiritual or whatever. That is for us all to put God's work first. And as we think about life and we think about who we are, uh, very early on in life when I was a pastor, I was told or reminded that my first ministry, if you will, was my family, was my wife, was that was it. So do not let your church work become your first ministry. Your family is your first ministry. And God calls us to that, and we've looked at that in the previous uh, series. So this idea of, you know, putting God's work first and doing what he wants, and then the other things shake out. And we see that in Abraham's life, and we see that when a blended life comes together, when two uh, families, two individuals come together, and there's children, and there's other things going on, God is saying, start off with a fresh slate, start with putting me first. And until you and I can do that, and again, we don't do that perfectly, but until we're moving down that road, it's going to be hard traveling. 
uh, for the blended family and even for that first family, it is going to be hard. So when we think of the blended family, a lot of times that means that there's a marriage that didn't work. And a part of understanding that a marriage did not work, we need to understand this, is we need to extend forgiveness to our ex-spouse and their spouse. And what we're talking about is a release of bitterness and anger towards them. Now, you may say, you don't know my ex-spouse, and that is absolutely true for most of you. I do not know that situation. I didn't know what they did, what they didn't do. But I do know this. When you and I harbor that inside, it eats us alive. And there can almost be an anger and a revengeful spirit. And there might be some things that were just really horrible, or a lot of things are really horrible. But when that owns our hearts, we're in trouble. And it reminds me of this guy. When a man's divorce settlement called for his ex-wife to get half of everything that he owns, well, he took that quite literally. He got out those power tools, went to work, cutting everything he owns right down the middle. Not at all, no. He's totally peaceful about this. And then he posted those photos on eBay, putting his half of his car on sale for $60. Half his laptop is also available. Maybe half a couch could be called a love seat. Probably not in this case. But it is a true half-off sale. How? What kind of power what kind of a power tool can go right through a car though? Half a bike. It's surprising there were problems in the marriage. Yeah, that's, that's trouble. But again, that's that, that, that just that revenge, that anger just taking over. So this idea of forgiveness, and we read this in Ephesians, and never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead let your words become beautiful gifts. I have in parentheses, things that people need that encourage others, but do this by speaking words of grace to help them. And I know some of you say that is a huge order. That is just off the charts. But unless you get to that point, it is just going to eat you up inside and out. And so when we think about a blended family and we think about two new families or a new family establishing that sometimes involves four people, uh, we need to realize that we also need to speak kindly for the children's sake. Uh, we need to understand that, that our words, even if the other person has done some horrible, difficult things, uh, we, 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 in a sense, pass that poison on to our kids and they hear it from us firsthand. It, it just doesn't go well. It's not good for those children. Oftentimes, when I'm working with someone who's processing through all this, and again, it is a process. There's not some magical words that someone just checks off and now they're fine. It is a process. It is a journey. I'll say, you know, as long as someone's in danger, what you're saying going on, the uncooperative spirit or whatever that is, eventually, eventually, your children will, will discover that. But it's so much better for them to discover that on their own than to discover it from your mouth, from your words. Because when that happens, it just, it just, it just kind of, it just, it, it hurts them. Uh, we read again in Ephesians, and don't make the Holy Spirit sad. 
God gave you his spirit as proof that you belong to him and that you'll keep you safe until the day he makes you free, the day of redemption, that day when Christ returns, when we're made whole in his presence through eternity. But the idea here, too, is that when you and I are bent and have revenge and anger and bitterness captivating our heart, it actually interferes with our relationship with God. It actually makes the Holy Spirit sad. It interferes with him speaking to our hearts. And I don't know about you, especially if I'm in a situation with anybody where there's, there's this reason to feel a little bitter or a little angry to them. I need the Holy Spirit helping me, not being silent in my life. I need to lean into him to have him help me do whatever I need to do. So when it comes to kids in a blended family, speak kindly for the children's sake. We read on, never be bitter, angry, or mad. Never shout angrily or say things to hurt others. Any and all malicious thoughts, these are poison. And that poison doesn't only affect the other person, but that poison obviously is affecting you when you let it live and stay in your heart. Going along with this idea is this, is remove bitterness for your own sake. You don't want that bitterness, just that poison, just captivating you and holding on to your life. Um, we read, be kind and loving to each other, forgive each other, the same as God forgave you through Christ. And sometimes it takes all of Christ and the Spirit working in our lives to forgive and let go. But when we don't, it eats us up from the inside out. And we've heard stories of people that carry a bitterness for whatever reason, and it just eats them up inside out. Then is the, also the idea of this is extending forgiveness for everyone's sake. And uh, this idea of trying to, um, you know, figure out who's to more blame and, and, and all this kind of thing, who's at more fault, and that might be part of the process. But when we live there, we find that we just can never really have a good, satisfying answer. Um, Keith Schrader, every once in a while, will bring up a quote from Lynn Kent. He was the uh, interim pastor about eight and a half years ago, and uh, he used to always say this, and I thought this was really powerful, no one is 100% right. No one is 100% wrong but we're all 100% involved. And uh, I don't personally, at first glance, don't like that statement uh, because I want to push at least 51% of the problem on somebody else, not me. And so that just is just the kind of the way I think we're wired. But I can at least land on this, that we're all 100% involved. And so I need to learn to let it go to forgive. That doesn't mean I'm a doormat. It doesn't mean I'm enabling somebody, but it means that I don't live in that bitter, revenge, angry place. And so when all of this starts to come together and we're starting to have a blended family and I think through those pieces, I need to get to the place where I cultivate proper boundaries, proper boundaries as we begin this new life together. Uh, which means I have to answer which family relationship is the most important. When two families are coming together and there's been a broken marriage or something, or there's, there's, all, there's two families coming together, I've got to, got to start to process that through, especially when there are kids involved. And I think uh, Mike and Carol Brady give us a little help with this all. 
Boy, he can't seem to get over those skyrockets, can he? The magic of youth. Too bad we grow up and lose it. Who said we have to lose it? Wow. Skyrocket? Oh, yeah. Hmm. I hope there's still skyrockets. Hope that still happens. Even when you're old, like Mike and Carol Brady, they must be like 40 in that age, right? <laughs> but uh, the idea that always your relationship with your spouse is primary. And when you blend families together, that needs to be in, not in the mix, that really needs to be the primary relationship. And if you're not ready because of where your kids are at, then you need to wait. If, if you can't make your spouse, as you blend family, primary, th then you need to wait because it is just going to continue to be a problem. Um, you need to understand that. I mean, that's why Paul, reciting Old Testament, uh, a man leaves his father and mother to get married, and the two, and the, he becomes one person with his wife. And that is that concept. So when we're thinking about blended families, when we're thinking about marriage, when we're thinking about all that, if your spouse can't be the primary person, uh, then you need to wait. And I know that may sound so hard for you to hear. You may say, Dave, you don't understand. I mean, you've been married for a million years. You don't get it. And on one level, I don't get it. But that's why the Scripture speaks into our lives. So if you're thinking about blending a family, uh, you have to realize that you're the center of the relationship. I think I've shared recently that uh, and I used to push the girls' buttons when the girls would even try to kind of like work us against each other. And, and I would say to them, I love your mom more than I love you. What? They did not like hearing that. But that was true. I'm going to be married to your mom 20 years longer than you're out of the house, you know. So, so she's primary, and I know where my bread is buttered. So, yes, you, I love you lots, but it's mom, then you. So just understand that. So if you can't get to that place when you're thinking about blending families, I think you need to slow down and wait. Also, there's the whole problem or whole idea or the whole challenge of how do you correct the kids? How do you do that? Who's going to say what? How do you say that? You, these are all the things that have got to be talked through and worked out before you blend two families. It's a lot harder on the other side. Even in premarital counseling, when it's first families, we talk about what are your thoughts about how you're going to discipline your kids? What's that going to look like? You can have an idea about that even before you have kids. But once you have kids and you're blending two families together, you need to really think that through. And if you can't come to reasonable terms, uh, sometimes I hear this, you know, one of the people says, well, I just don't say anything. I just fold my hands and just let it happen because if I say anything, I'm darned if I do, darned if I don't. What? That, that's just, it's, it's horrible what has to get to that place. These conversations need to be worked out in advance. 
Um, in part four of This Is Us, we talked about some guidelines for correcting kids, so I don't need to go over that again. You can uh, go look at that online and uh, take a look at that. So then again, as we start to think about this blended family, and then we have to, even when it's not blended, first family, we need to ask ourselves, what is, who is your favorite? And you go, what? Who is your favorite? When it comes to your kids, they get a vibe. And if it's a blended family, they get the vibe. And sometimes it's not even the child that is biologically yours. And it just, it just gets, again, real messy. These are real-life conversations that you have to work. Because when one child feels not valued as the other children, it creates all kinds of problems. I like it. That's why. What kind of a dumb reason is that? I want to know why you did it. It's none of your business. Jan, wait a minute. I don't care to discuss it. Come back here. Let me hear you, Scooby. Well, you must admit it was a goofy thing to do. So I'm goofy. What's that to you? You can at least tell me why. Uh, hand me another Scooby. that bothers me the most. Well, all I hear all day long is great Marsha is at this or how wonderful Marsha did that. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. How many remember that? All right. Uh, I even had some younger folks go, yeah, we remember that show and they were like in their teens. But the idea again of this, who's the favorite? What do they think? And, and you may say, I don't have favorites, but, but they kind of feel that way. Um, in real situation, um, Israel, who was Jacob, played favorites with Joseph. Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He was number 11. And he made an ornate robe for him. And it wasn't just that he had this nice set of clothing. It was the fact that this ornate robe meant that Joseph was getting the place of being primary son. And all the sons knew it. It was like getting a signet ring. And, uh, I, you know, Israel, Jacob just was playing the favor cards, and it was devastating in the family. So when you have just a first family, you need to be very aware of that. When you have a blended family, it gets magnified. How are you going to let that play out? What are you going to do? And also in all of this, and this is one reason to wait, don't get aligned with your biological children at the cost of your new spouse. You should figure that out before you get married. And again, these, these are hard conversations. And uh, some of us are on the other side of the conversation. We have to play catch up. But if you're thinking about blending a family, you need to think through these conversations. And again, this isn't a, oh, I heard this one sermon and now I know what I'm supposed to do. This is a process you're going to have to return to these concepts. You're going to have to think through. You may need to get counseling to work through these things. Also going along with this is the idea of being realistic about your expectations. Um, realistic, uh, knowing uh, what is going on. You, you need to, you know, a loving environment doesn't happen instantly. 
Um, you know, it's, it's funny, uh, Jan and Marsha were having, they were actually biological sisters, but, uh, you know, you watch the show, and sometimes it's the girls versus the boys and all that kind of stuff, and we kind of laugh and, and giggle about that, and that's all funny, but, uh, but again, this idea of realizing that it takes time to blend a family, and again, it's just not two people and their families, it, there's, it's multiplied. Um, we need to realize that being previously married doesn't necessarily equip you to be married to someone new. Uh, we need to realize that experience as a parent doesn't adequately prepare you to be a step-parent. We need to realize that children are sometimes slow to embrace a step-parent's authority and the new family as a whole. I mean, these, these are, seem common-sense things, but sometimes we can get in this and not really have digest and let these things be teased out. Following in love with a person and getting married doesn't mean your children will love them, especially not as quickly as you'd like them to do. Falling in love as a couple doesn't mean you know how to be a family. It's a process. And just this concept that just is a blanket statement, but applying this to be realistic and understanding, be even-tempered, content with second place, quick to forgive an offense, Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. That almost seems impossible. And it is impossible unless you're walking with Jesus. Unless you said yes to God and his spirit lives within you. It starts to help you move in that direction. And regardless of what else you put on, wear a love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. In a book a number of us have read by Andy Stanley, there are five questions for determining life. And the last question is the toughest one. And the question is, what does love require of you? What does love? And, and there's not always a flip positive side. The four other questions, if you do this, usually this happens. But in this one, you can be the loving person and still it doesn't go smoothly you got to be realistic. Now, as we think about all these ideas and we think about a family coming together, we think of a first family, a blended family, uh, I'd like to just give some principles that uh, come out of some of the things that we've talked about. Uh, the idea of how to be successful or how to have success as a blended family. And we've already said it starts with Jesus as your center. And uh, Jesus as your center is a daily event. If you want Jesus to be your center, you need to, like, start your day with him. End your day with him. Really have him be your center. You can't, like, slide into this. You can't kind of do it halfway. He's got to be your center. Uh, you need to understand each person's journey. When we do premarital counseling, um, there's some questions in there. Where have you come from? It's not all the little details, but, but what makes you tick? Why do you respond like this when there's been previous relationships, married or not? We don't get into all the details of it, but you say, so, so how does that make you feel? And sometimes you find that something that uh, is uh, innocent in your setting uh, is a trigger for the other person. You have to understand the person's journey, where they came from. Uh, confront issues before uh, remarriage or before any marriage. Uh, if there is a red flag, don't live in the illusion that once we get married, that just disappears. It doesn't. 
this gets amplified and magnified. And if you can't deal with it on the front side, it's going to be much harder to deal with it once you've crossed the line and have started your life together. Uh, I have to admit, when I, before I was married, I was a lot nicer to Cindy in some ways. I did things that I really didn't like to do. I remember I, I went to plays, I've told you. I can't stand going to plays, sorry. But I would go to plays because I just enjoyed sitting next to her, holding her hand. Now, play, uh, maybe for like a milestone birthday. Maybe when you turn 80, if your 80th birthday, we'll go to a play. I don't know. I'm just not into it. So you got to confront those issues beforehand. By the way, if I show up your play, that means I really love you because I really don't like going to plays. But anyway, so confront issues before remarriage. Also going along with this is you need to commit yourself to prayer. That verse that talks about pray without ceasing doesn't mean like you're always praying, but it means this idea that you're good with God so you can pray at any moment's notice. You're just ready to pray. It's almost a natural kind of a thing. You're going through life and something happens and you just, you just start praying. You just start talking with God about it. You realize he's with you, so you commit yourself. And, and it takes some work. It takes some practice. Sometimes you and I need to remind ourselves. Sometimes maybe it's a sticker on our steering wheel. Commit yourself to prayer because you, you can get driving someplace and not even think about it or something on your mirror or something to remind you. I've told you before one time I used to have a little dot on my watch because uh, I could get my day going. I could spend time with God and kind of forget about him, but I'm always looking at my watch and I'd go, what's that dot on there? Oh, yeah, that dot reminds me to check in with God. Okay, God, what's going on? What am I, you know, what am I doing? How, how's life unfolding? What do I need to do? But especially with blended families, with just life in general, commit to prayer. Also, the idea of enlisting the help of others. Sometimes you and I need to bring somebody else in. Uh, it needs to be someone that's trusted. Sometimes it might mean counseling. Sometimes it might mean your pastor. Somebody, but somebody who can be trusted, who keeps their mouth shut. But you need to bring someone else in. Sometimes you and I are embarrassed to bring someone else in. But the reality is this. Private problems often become awkwardly public. In other words, you don't deal with it. It's a private problem. You think it's kind of going to go away, and eventually it starts to reveal itself in your world, and now it's awkwardly public. So why not deal with it before it gets to that place? Also, having a strategy um, is determined uh, by a child's age. So as you're thinking about a blended family and where your kids are at, uh, obviously teenagers are different than, uh, you know, an eight-year-old, you need to think all that through. And why not think, why not make it as smooth and have success? Uh, there can be life after a broken marriage in a new marriage. It is possible. It can be joy. I, I have friends that, that are, are remarried, uh, you know, it, whatever the history of the previous relationship, but their life together is good. But it just didn't happen like that. They had to work through some of these kinds of ideas. Also, share your family goals and dreams. And this sounds so obvious, but if your expectations are different, if you're hoping you're going a certain direction and you just don't want to share it because you think it might trouble the waters, it's eventually going to come out or you're going to live with unfulfilled dreams and emptiness and it's going to be hard you got to share those things. You've got to risk those things. 
Now I'm going to share with a verse with you that I've shared a lot this summer. And uh, the reason I share is because it's a verse I look at almost every single day. And uh, we can all have different verses. This isn't like the special verse in the Bible, but it speaks to my heart for this season of life. And I need to remind myself of this often. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. When I got my act together, he gave me a fresh start. And sometimes I need a fresh start every day. I mean, really own a fresh start. And so I place the pieces of my life. I look at what's going on in my life. I spend more than two seconds on this, and I go, Lord, I'm placing all these situations before you, all these conversations, or it may be something that transcends a day. Maybe it's a, it's a week-long thing or a month-long, and I place them before him, and I find that he gives me a fresh start. Said another way, taking all these principles, the acrostic into heart, success can bring the pieces to peace. When you and I are in a blended marriage, the pieces to peace. Whether we're in any relationship, the pieces to peace. So this morning I ask you, what are the pieces in your life right now? What are the pieces that need to move to peace? And are you doing anything about it? Are you looking at it? Are you just pretending that somehow it's going to get taken care of? It's laying those pieces, however you want to say it, before God and starting to think these things. There can be life after a broken marriage. There can be life after a broken relationship. The pieces can move to peace. It's not easy, it takes work, but it is possible. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for the examples you give to us. We're thankful that they're not perfect examples. They're real life examples. There's like us. And Father, I just ask no matter where any of us are at, we would be at a place where we take the pieces, whether they're relational pieces whether there's some circumstance going on in life, and we would bring them to you, seriously bring them to you, put them in your hands, lay them, if you will, in your lap, and find the peace to take the next step forward. And Father, if there's anyone here that has never said yes to you, has never invited you into their life, because you don't force yourself, May in this moment they say, Father, I want you a part of my life. I want to say yes to Jesus. I thank you that he died for my sins, making it possible that I have a relationship with God and that he rose again. And I want that fresh, fresh start, that new life in you so I can start bringing the pieces and finding peace. We thank you that you extend that to everyone, no matter what their background Father, help us to live in that peace, not just for ourselves, but so that it touches the people closest to our life and those even just around our life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, amen.